Hello and welcome everyone to another episode of Waiting to Be Signed, a special interview episode. Today we are joined by Trinity, of course, as always, but special guest Ed, founding member of the Carpe Diem DAO, whom if you are in the Discord and pay attention to the sales feed, you've almost certainly seen at least one of their wallets uh, involved in many of the sweeps that they've performed in the last few months here. Ed, how's it going? Really well. Thanks for having me on and having us on as a DAO. We're uh, super excited to share a little bit about how we operate and what we look for. So yeah, no, I'm, I'm doing very well. Thanks. You know, normally I forget to do the disclaimers at the beginning of these interviews because we generally talk to artists, but I think in particular, this one will merit the nothing that we say here is financial advice disclaimer. <laughs> um, Trinity, do, do you agree? <laughs> I'm taking everything as personal financial advice, but that disclaimer does not head out for the the broader podcast audience. So, or it does head out to the broader podcast. Well, audience. the disclaimer goes out. Me taking this as specific financial advice is a personal choice. You're you're not going to talk. You're just going to sit and trade while Ed speaks. And you, <laughs> Ed, you know, with that out of the way, the intro. Can you please um, kind of warm everyone up to yourself, who you are, your involvement in the DAO. What is Carpe Diem? How did it come together? You know, the size, your capitalization, like mission statement, whatever you kind of feel comfortable sharing to kind of let everyone get more familiar with like what a art collecting DAO is. Sure. So uh, my name's Ed. Um, I'm currently working operations for Carpe Diem. We're a DAO that's looking to collect culturally significant works on Tezos. We came about, um, I think our first purchase was around August last year, and we actually came around as some of our members were, um, we were already collecting on Hikek Nunk, um, you know, in the free digits, and sometimes we had low edition works that we were kind of fighting over. Um, so we kind of just decided, listen, there's lots of great work here. There's a lot of interest in our circles. Let's just club money together and start collecting these pieces so we can all get exposure to, to these works um, as a group and as a collective. We're pretty well capitalized. Um, I won't go to exact figures, but we got we got a good amount of runway taking us through to 2023, we hope. Depends how we spend it. But yeah, we're, we're in a good position there. I'm curious, I mean about how many members are there to the extent that you want to say? Is there a process for joining or is everything kind of closed? It's not open. We are taking on new new investment, but it's more for strategic investors at this point. We It was open for, for a time. We have about 50 members and we're trying to, well, we are, we're keeping it to 99 so we can legally wrap the DAO and, and be a com- legally compliant investment DAO. So yeah, we're, we're, we're not open at the moment, just close to, uh, to strategics, basically. So how did that first 12 to 15 people get together? Were you friends from school like Will and I? Did you... In a Discord together, maybe? In a Discord early on? Some of the founding members are brothers. Um, so I've got two brothers that are in the doubt. I've actually got three, but one's, one's a lot quieter. But yeah, and then some of the founding members came from Flamingo DAO, which is on Ethereum, which is a um, 
another DAO that collects art, a lot of your listeners will know of. So yeah, we're mainly coming over from Ethereum. In fact, almost all of us are coming over from Ethereum and we saw what was going on on Tezos. So yeah, we just wanted to come on over Club Capital. And I know that you're not taking in new members. I guess I'm just curious about the growth trajectory of like, everybody has a buddy, bring in your buddy, love the art, say something good about the art and you're in. So originally it was a bit like, yeah, listen, this chap really, really likes art. Well, this girl really likes their art and I think there'll be a great value add. And we, we were getting people in on that basis. But we kind of want to ensure that people that are coming on now uh, are bringing something else to the table other than just their capital. Um, we've, we've had some recent recent members join that some of them have uh, particularly good eyes and they've got really good discerning eyes and can help us curate our collection others might have fantastic connections when when we start to build out our collection on in the metaverse or other platforms so yeah it's, it's just about making sure that we've got a really good strong team going forward now i noticed something going back through your twitter the carpe diem twitter and it, and it lines up to kind of what you said like i think your earliest tweets are back in august so i would guess that's around the time the the group came together. Mm -hmm. There's a few points in the Twitter history where the the DAO is talking about collecting clean NFTs. So is that kind of a core mission part of Carpe Diem to collect on Tezos and like other proof of stake chains versus everyone else? Like I know you said your members came from Ethereum, but is that part of the mission or is that just kind of like, or are there other reasons you're here on Tezos? Obviously, everyone here cares about the environment and we're very keen on that. So that's certainly a part of our thesis of coming this way. But also, there's a great deal of us that have been involved in Tezos in some format or another, you know, some straight from the ICO. So we've always been exceptionally fond of the technology on Tezos. We think it's got tremendous staying power as a blockchain itself. Otherwise, we, we probably wouldn't be collecting art as, as hard as we are. So yeah, we, we, although the clean NFT movement is important to us, it's more that we just see the technology and this proof of stake blockchain being really strong. And, you know, on-chain governance um, and how it's always evolving and catering to the environment is, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting. So we're very fond of Tezos as a blockchain itself. You know, when you're talking about the mission statement of Carpe Diem, it's about the collection of work and art that is culturally significant. It'd be interesting to hear what the definition of that is and how do you determine if something is or will be culturally significant? It's a big one. I'm sorry. Mm, yeah, so much to unpack that. Yeah. You might need to open uh, a beer for that one. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I, I mean, it's nuanced. Like everyone has their own... Um, understanding of what that might mean in the DAO to a certain extent as well. Sometimes it could be as simple as, hey, look, these are potentially the first major PFP on Tezos blockchain in, in Tezards or something. Or it could be, look, this is the first time we've had plotter art working in a generative series um, in long form generative. Sometimes it could be something completely different so you know we, we say that as kind of a tagline and i've used it like there's times that it might not be culturally significant or carry the weight of that label but it's certainly beautiful art and um you know in the grand scheme of things 10 15 20 years from now maybe they will get that label of culturally significant but you know it might be a, a bit of a shot to say they are at this point I suppose if we were to refine that, it would just be like, we're collecting art that we like a lot. And that's what we always say is the most important part of this. And maybe this is the pseudo financial mm. advice is if you collect art that you like, you will never be disappointed because you're definancializing mm. it to a certain extent, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. We are an investment DAO, or we're moving in that direction. We've always kind of been in that direction. But we came to Tezos uh, to collect art, not because we go, well, guys, here's here's where money is made. It's like, it, it was more, look, we, we've been collecting, whether it be on art blocks or other, other areas of Ethereum, these NFTs and great artworks. Um, and that's where our passion is. And that's where our passion led us to Tezos. So of course, we're looking for a return investment in investment in some format, but the collecting of art and um, having exposure to all of this and this movement is what's more important to us. I really like that answer. And I'm curious, you know, I think now to start transitioning into the way you all collect and what you collect, obviously you started on Hen, you know, Hicket Nuke before it kind of dissolved, right? In um, mm-hmm. October, November of last year. Shortly after that, we had the launch of FX Hash. So I'm curious, you know, how does the DAO currently kind of divide its collecting and still in like the Hen Taya Versum style of not necessarily generative work, but maybe one of ones released over there or additioned work versus purely generative work, like what FX Hash has. And then like, as a sub question to that, how do you view like FX Hash? Like how big of a deal is it for Tezos? How big of a deal is it for NFTs and for generative art as a whole? To Mm. me, it seems like it's really important and you guys have collected a lot there. So I'm just curious to know what your view has been on just like watching the rise of this platform for the past eight months now. Yeah. Um, uh, quite a few questions there, so just cut in if I don't answer any of them. Some of us have been collecting FX hash stuff before the DAO was properly collecting in earnest. Like we, we were almost, um, well, we were, we were between funding rounds really as a DAO when FX hash exploded onto the scene and we didn't really have full operational, you know, a full operational hire. So we kind of, there's been a bit of boat missing, if you will on that side of things, but we've always kind of had a a lean towards generative art as a DAO. That was kind of one of the early directives was collect low edition generative artwork. There's fantastic art out there that we've kind of come to see in the Tezos space that we we absolutely want to um, collect and have as part of our collection. And we see a fantastic future for that artwork as well. So we've kind of pivoted and our our opinions kind of been reactive to the market and un, and our understanding of the market. But going back to your question on FX hash, I think as I say we were a little bit late to FX hash, so we had a bit of backfilling to do, which we did about um about a month and a half ago. I think we came in quite it was glorious. Um onto the secondary. Yeah, um it was really good fun to do. We all uh, we all hopped on a call. Um, or a good portion of us hopped on a call and we just went through a selection of about 20, 30 collections and just like, love this, not fun. Yeah, okay, let's get more of that, less of this. And so much fun to do as a group of collectors. And that would be, by the way, for everyone listening, I I think you're referring to like you all came in and swept up some dragons, some contrapuntos, some RGBs, some fragments of a wave. Yeah. Uninhabitable sequences. I mean, just kind of in the pantheon of grail projects uh, you you all kind of finally was it was it the cheap tez at the moment yeah although it wasn't massively cheap when we did that was it it was well it was cheap (laughs) it was still cheap but not as cheap as it is now 
it had finally gone under two dollars USD for like the first time. Yeah. You know, now I know everything is is in that range and super cheap. But back then, like Tezos had its own little wick down that kind of seemed to precipitate a huge run across all those projects. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we as a DAO, we're kind of denominated in Tez. Like we do our funding in Tez and we operate in Tez. So although the dollar value is we we do think about it like at the end of the day it's how cheap is this relative to tez or how expensive is this relative to tez we try not to think too much about well look this is only 100 bucks where it used to be 500 it does obviously roll into our thesis and how we think about collecting but at the end of the day our funding was done in tez so that's that's where our thought process stays so with that big collection that that secondary suite we did that was mainly a play on fx hash you know there's there's no token for FX hash yet. I don't think Cypher's taking on investment. And so when you can't get these sorts of things, these assets, um, and make a play, like I suppose it's kind of like a deferred play on FX hash as an ecosystem for us to be able to pick up these not only grails and oh they're grails because everyone says they are like these are beautiful works, like each in their own right. Like that that that's that's one of the guiding things for all of these. It's not so much oh, we just have to have this as part of our collection. Of course, there's a bit of that, but these are beautiful works and they stand up on their own two feet and they're well-deserving of a sweep, especially when you're comparing them to, to art on Ethereum and art blocks and other platforms there where you see there's this arbitrage opportunity, if you will, to get on these at a, at a lower price. That's something that we've talked about a couple of times on the show, for sure. I mean, there are plenty of artists who have released on art blocks, you know, curated and not who also release over here right and you you do see a big price disparity between them over time i think that will start to iron out so it's part of our thesis is let's get this while people are you know as people say sleeping on it i think tezos as a platform uh, sorry as a blockchain has a great deal of upside but then the artwork it's like a compounded upside like there's yeah, as, as people flow into this ecosystem more over the next five to 10 years, they're going to be looking at some of this stuff. Um, it's even happening now. You can feel it with with you seeing new addresses pop up and players like I don't like Tezos and, and other people um, that are very clearly from Ethereum um, that are coming over to plant their flag in the ecosystem. Did you notice the trade this week that I don't like Tezos made? I'm wondering if you had an opinion on that was this this week was it the was it a, a ringers for a zankan yeah yeah did that feel significant to you yeah massively significant it's um yeah it's, it's just one of those moments that's you know tezos has just had having lots of these moments recently that kind of solidify it as as a really important chain for artwork you know tezos is capable of doing a lot of fantastic things it's it's a great blockchain outside of art but these sorts of things that we're starting to see happen now, it's, it's um, really shows that Tezos is um, here to stay and it's a, a serious player and contender in, in the whole NFT ecosystem. I, mean, I think that's something that we've talked about briefly on the show before. You know, I think we all are in agreement that like, on a per capita basis, uh, Tezos has so much more great art than ETH. Not that Ethereum doesn't have it, but I think that the per capita is the key point there. Yeah, I I also think there's a lot. Sorry to interrupt you, Trinity. I I think there's a lot of noise on Ethereum as well, and I'm just speaking as myself, as as someone who's collected on on Ethereum. Like it's so hard to try and find like really great art and projects. There's so much because there's 
huge upside and a lot of money to be had that, that where there's opportunity you get opportunists that are coming in and they're going yeah here's here's my art and it's maybe it's a copy mint or something else it's just it's a lot noisier it's a lot harder to separate the wheat from the chaff whereas if you go on to versum fx hash or even hen now tier an object if you go onto their front pages and just scroll through like a, a feed so much of it is super compelling and I don't think the same could be said for Ethereum in a lot of places. If you looked at like, if there was, I don't think that OpenSea does a feed that distills everything that's going on in trading, but so much of it is just really like naff clip art that just doesn't really speak to me and certainly doesn't speak to a lot of collectors in the DAO. So yeah, huge discrepancy. Did you happen to watch any of the Maria or hear secondhand any of the Marina Abramovich stuff? Yes, on the, the on Tezos is yeah, I did. I think I got the tail end of that. It kind of speaks to what mm -hmm. Will was saying about like the trade for the ringers for Azankan. Like these sorts of things are just like deeply validating for us as a DAO. Like yes, we made the right call, and then just Tezos and NFTs on Tezos. Like artists are just choosing this platform because they do see it as as you know inherently greener which you know i i'm honestly i don't know where i land on the argument of it being oh it's a green chain therefore it's the best i think there's there's a lot to that um there's a lot to unpack there i don't really want to get into because i know that there's diverse opinions within our doubt but i do think like as a proof of state model you're seeing ethereum trying to do its merge and transition away from proof of work like this has like it's a battle-tested um, blockchain that's now starting to get artists going. Well, hang on, this this chain's been around. It hasn't had any major hacks. It hasn't had any huge liquidity events or crashes. Or you know, it's just been a steady platform whereby I believe that the provenance of the work that I put on it is in safe hands. So it's you know that battle-hardened blockchain. Yeah, it's starting to look really really handsome to people that are looking to put their art on here long term. You know, thinking about the differences between Tezos and some of the other blockchains that are, that are out there, pretty much every other one that I've interacted with at the very least, is that it's so unfinancialized. Almost everything that people are doing on it is for collecting or for, you know, utility rather than more of the DeFi opportunities. So it seems more genuine. Not that DeFi isn't genuine, mm. but it's serving legitimate purposes beyond... <laughs> Well, I think we're starting to find out how genuine DeFi is right now. <laughs> oh God, hasn't it been hard? It's been not nice to watch and a lot of people have lost a lot. But yeah, I think there's no, I think there's a lot of merit in DeFi going forward. Um, it's just, uh, it's just been the wild west out there with regulation and stuff. And you have massive funds and protocols that are effectively robbing Peter to pay pool and they're leveraging up and stuff, thinking up only. And yeah, it's, it's kind of a house of cards when you're not careful. I mean, and I think that's where when we're talking about financialized systems and objects, you know, we see so much of that in the real world or so much of that in the real world is hidden, you know, where there are larger institutions that we don't have nearly the amount of like capital to get involved with are doing these types of things and it's just mm. it's the accessibility within cryptocurrencies that make it makes it more accessible. I think that the, the refreshing thing is that there isn't this hyper capitalistic drive on Tezos to make money. Obviously people do that through like the through flipping and trying to leverage their way up through like NFT trading. Mm. But it's not at the the DeFi level. I guess. They're, like, people are engaging with something actively and collecting. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I actually, I think that one, one major indicator of that is the community um, and the, the, the community, whether it be on price discussion of FX hash or on Twitter and just Tezos collectors and artists in general, there's such a strong community. Um, like to a certain extent, everyone knows each other and they can, you know, reach out to one another and have a really good, deep, meaningful conversation without um, having to be introduced. You could just go, oh, hey, you know, so you know, there's Art Monochrome, who's who's amazing and reaches out to us regularly with fantastic stuff she's been collecting. And and it's just so open. you you got Lonely Boy and some others that, that are just immediately open to talk and share their thoughts on a project, an artist or... Or anything, and I think that's that's really nice, and I think it's it's indicative of a really healthy community that's not not always thinking about the money. It's it's yeah, it's it. And maybe maybe it's a symptom of its kind of its growth and where it is in its growth cycle. But it's just all really nice and fun and playful at the moment, and it's not so heavily financialized. Uh, I think maybe not to be a downer on it, but I think to a certain extent that stuff will come as, as the platform gets more popular. We can, as a community, try and curate it out as much as possible, but as soon as the opportunities come flying and there is massive upside, then, yeah, I think it's something that's incumbent on all of us as members of the community to, to try and steer away from and, um, yeah, push back on. Is this all in the episode, by the way, or are we... <laughs> are we i wasn't sure if just I came pick back and, and choose talking. okay pick and choose you're the editor it can be a it can be like a nice post-credit sequence maybe yeah sure um, sometimes and get the baby I put crying those, in. yeah but no she's settled now uh, that, that was that was really fun to listen to while i'm got her yeah settled. no I, just, I was just just chatting randomly random thoughts about tezos and financialization i i think it's no, really I love Im- it. important point though that trinity raised and i yeah i certainly echo those sentiments I just hope it's here to stay. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a, probably a bit of a pessimist at heart. Like I, go, I just think yes, but when X happens, Y will happen. I really hope that's not the case, and certainly, certainly I'll be taking arms against that. But yeah, fingers crossed. <laughs> that was actually part of the segue. Um, yes. Was discussing the Marina Abramovich panel at Art Basel this week, where she essentially made direct comparisons to NFT art today, specifically generative art and I guess non-generative art, being in the same camp as her performance art was back in the 70s, where it's something that people love to hate on, that people don't understand, that people say isn't art, and how you know the NFT artists who are releasing things today, they are her. They are leading at the forefront. They're leading the mm-hmm. charge. They're doing things that people will come to really respect and value more in the years to come. Absolutely. And I think that'd be so great to hear as, as, as an artist in the space, that sort of validation coming from someone who's, who's you know, so huge in the traditional world of art. Um, and it's so true. Like, there's so much going on in this space and there's so much for it to evolve. It, it definitely definitely feels like the beginning or the genesis of of a massive movement uh, this whole genre of art is exploding that resonates with me as a collector but i expect it will resonate hugely with artists that are you know a bit down in the doldrums and they're kind of thinking oh you know i'm, I'm making art here the tezos price is going down and do i write, raise my prices and i know this is something you've spoken of in in a previous episode but it's 
I think it's it's really nice for artists to hear that from someone as revered as Marina that yeah that this this is something special going on if you can just hold on tight and just keep keep doing what you love and stay true to your passion then uh, who knows what the future holds yeah this is definitely a great segue into I think talking about artists then in general on FX hash because I I kind of feel like Carpe Diem does something different from what there's a common narrative in, I would say, maybe the price discussion community or amongst some prominent collectors that 99% of all of this stuff is going to go to zero and there should be consolidation into grails only. And if you're buying anything else, then you should really just know that you're buying it for fun and you shouldn't view it as an investment because really only, the only investable class pieces are like the art GBs and their contras and, and the consensus grails and you all do hold a bunch of that stuff you know like, like we've talked about you swept them up in the last couple months but you also hold a really wide basket of artists across huge price ranges i mean you've even collected some of the stuff that we've made as a podcast and that i released uh, myself so thank you for that but yeah i'm very curious to know like how do you identify like first of all like do you explicitly think differently from that philosophy like do you have a lot of highly held belief in multiple artists beyond just like the consensus blue chips now being able mm. to succeed in the long run like how does that work like how do you pick who you're going to okay so there's a, there's a, i think there's a lot of nuance here and i think it's a it's a really fun thing to discuss even if even if we weren't a dao and if it was just me me and you talking but as a DAO, obviously, straight straight away, we, we have kind of a hive mind going on about how we allocate and what we collect. And some members of the DAO might really like their PFPs. Others might love generative stuff. Some might be fond of image compositions. And um, when they shine in a, in a way that they they want to get some of that for the DAO. So we, we kind of want to make sure that everyone in the DAO is well catered to and we're kind of collecting on all fronts whether it be on FX hash or other platforms but with regards to stuff like I mean you said your collection um and waiting to be signed like I don't necessarily think that as a DAO we're always looking for we're not always looking for a return in value um value for us is is it can be many different things it can be hey this would just look great in on cyber or on, on our Decca gallery next to this, or this is thematically awesome, we really like it, or it's the case that, you know, the waiting to be signed thing, for example, like, I'm going to be super honest, like, I'm not like, right, yeah, this is blow away art, this is grail material, but I personally love this podcast, I know a lot of the other members do, and they've learned a great deal from it, so they're like, well, we, how can we support the podcast, and um and it's the same goes for artists. There's some artists that we got a great deal of their work on versatile or tier or object, and they might not hit it out the park with their FX hash offering, but we're there for them, and we would like to, we would like to support them and support their experimentation and what they're trying there. And lest we forget, like the these are often like really low cost plays and they sit in a really nice Goldilocks kind of risk reward. Even if we are looking for that upside, like we, we in token numeracy, like the amount of tokens we hold across FX hash, like you'd say, uh, you know, huge percentage of them aren't grails, but they, they also represent a very small percentage of our cost. There's obviously going to be a couple of hit and miss ones that we go for, but 
to try and distill this answer into one point, it's that we don't always see value purely on how much Tezos we're getting back from it. It might be building out a collection in a way or or just um, being part of a community. I think that's amazing and, you know, definitely a different philosophy than I think what we see some other big collectors taking where, you know, obviously you have some people who are going broad and wide, but you have some people who are looking to specifically consolidate into grails and only grails. You know, I think one of the first few big sweeps that you had, Organicon, Variation 1, 4W Blute, and then Estrella's Loom by Rose Jackson were ones that, you know, you have... These are two great examples because... Personally, I had been collecting some of his works when Hen was triple digits. He was—he is one of the OGs of Tezos NFTs, and we in the DAO love Organicons. Like we think they're just—they might just be a little bit out of meta at the moment and just not quite in favor. But I think a lot of the time, people just want their piece and they want to see it and go, "All right, yes, that's my piece, and I can identify it." But there's going to be a time where people in galleries are seeing. How does this piece render? How does it present? It's not just going to be a still. Um, there's there's artists that are putting a huge amount of deal onto the presentation, and I think he's he's a shining example of that. And then with Rose again, really like the FX hash collection. Um, it was because it was a collab, I think, with Liam, Liam Egan, wasn't it? We really enjoyed that, and we've we've been long been collectors of hers as well. So even if we didn't particularly or we weren't particularly wild on these i think we still would have picked up five to ten just because it's you know these are artists that we believe in massively and we think that they're going to go on to do great things they're honing their craft and and how they converse with other people be it on twitter or how they talk on spaces kind of like an investment in them as an artist more more so than the project and that's that isn't the case for these two as a DAO, we love both of those projects and I think that's also kind of validating as a personal collector as well. You know, obviously I'm sitting on different amounts of liquidity from like Carpe Diem, but, you know, both of those collections are ones that, you know, I've been looking at and looking at and looking at and then not really buying because it's a lots of air quotes happening here. The risky thing when you have 20, 30 Tez, <laughs> but I think it's a really good signal and just a reminder that if there's something mm-hmm. that you do believe in and that you do think is objectively fantastic, that you can't be wrong in that sort of sense. Because Estrella's Loom specifically was sitting under mint for a little bit and it was just yeah. some really beautiful pieces that were just amazing for the price. Amazing. Yeah, it's exactly that. And I, also it's for Rose, it was a huge experiment for her. I don't, I don't want to speak for Rose. I mean, she, she might say otherwise, but it kind of, it felt like it was a really cool experiment standing outside of her standard gang style and, you know, working with um, wool and stuff like that. It kind of, it was just this like really fun experiment. And as a DAO, we want to, we, we want to um, help facilitate that in a way. And we want to be a part of that experimental side of things where the space in general, FX hashes almost could be thought of as an experiment by Cypher. And, you know, blockchains are an experiment in and of themselves. And we're all just experimenting here and trying to work things out. And um, I think if we had blinkers on and just went for the Zancans and Contrapuntos and stuff like that, I mean, we'd be sitting very handsomely, sure. But I think it would be such a shame not to 
support and be part of that experimentation, which is why we have such amazing grails in other collections is because there were collectors that were willing to go on that journey with artists. So we always, always want to do that. um, And we always will. And speaking of market moving, it's also been hugely incentivizing for me to buy things that I like before you buy things that I like. So thank you for some really tough lessons there. Yeah. And it's, it's also like sometimes I see, well, as you guys know, and a lot of your listeners, you know, you're just sitting on the feed and you just see like you see an amazing work. You're like, Jesus, what's that? Was that minted today? Did I miss something? Oh, my God. And you get it up. It's like December the yeah. 23rd. And you're like, oh, right. OK. I just love doing that. You go through the collection. You go, wow, it's amazing. And then you go through their other works on FX hash, And then you're on their Versum and object works. It's, it's yeah, so much fun to do. But yeah, <laughs> there have been a couple of times when I've seen your name pop up in Phoenix. I know Trinity's got good eyes. Let's let's give this one a good look at. And then, of course, we got Mark Knoll's Sweet Tools, where it's just what a boon those have been to us and collectors in general. Just like you just type in how many you want and just have at it. That's been massive. It's a huge game changer. It, it less, leads to mm. fewer of those exciting runs where everybody's getting in, but it's definitely a lot easier. And then it's just when you see 10 go by in one block, it's crazy. As a person not speaking for the DAO, I actually, there's part of me is like, that's kind of a shame that you don't have this kind of loads of different names coming in and people getting it at different prices and, um, you know, it's slowly building up and because you get so much hype in price discussion when that was happening. But then obviously as, as Carpe Diem, I need to be humble here, like say, oh, only time we bought a work as other people would, but it's obviously not the case. But there was a few times when we felt like we're going after a really old collection and it will pop up on sales feed and then, we would go for the next one in that collection and it had already been bought. And so the sweep tools for us is just really great. We can just go, look, we want this from an old collection and bam, we can have it. But yeah, I definitely get that side of things that was really fun price discussion chat. And another one's gone, another one. And oh, look at that one. But yeah, I is, have missed that a little bit. <laughs> You know, this has been a lot of positivity and I love it. And maybe this question's unfair and, and I'm even wrong for asking it, but I'm curious what your view is since you do collect, you know, pretty deeply into collections too when you, when you move in. So to use Organicon as an example, after Organicon was released, there was like V2 and V3 that came out. You know, I think looking at even Zanken, sometimes you could say like has released subsequent works that continue to leverage at least in part, some of the code that he used on his original Grail drop, Garden Monoliths, or even more recently, right, like with Heavy's Density Drop, followed up by this Canyons piece that's clearly has a lot of overlapping similarity. Does the the DAO, do you personally, like, what is the view on similar or derivative works like that get released kind of close together in a series? And then, I mean, obviously, I think when when we observe it, we see that the market the base collectors react really poorly to that. But mm. you have the ability to operate on a really, really long view, right? Like you're talking, you've, you've brought up the term five to 10 years often now. So mm-hmm. I'm just wondering like, does does that timeline or dissolve those concerns that there might be too much similar work released in a row? I think in general, the market will decide. And by that, I mean that there's sometimes a collection that might've been 128 editions and it's, it's just knocked it out of the park. It's been beautiful. And then the artist goes and says, well, I think I can take this and change a few things and um, bring it back to a larger edition and bring the price down. 
I actually think that's fine, and that's at the discretion of the artists. And I think that they would be the first to say it's fine if the market doesn't love these and if they feel that they've had enough of this this algorithm or whatever. There's artists that they just feel that there's just more in it, and often there is. Like sometimes there's just very subtle nuance in the change in which that code's executed, or maybe the color palette or something where it does it really does warrant another go at and it does warrant another project. I think it's completely up to the artist to decide. I certainly wouldn't discourage them from continuing to explore a theme um, or an algorithm that's done well. You know, actually on the, on the Marina talk, the, the, the Tezos talk that was yesterday, she said, oh, you must, must move forward and never look back, always creating something new and always... I totally get the the point of view in that, and she is, of course, the opinion that you you want to take home with you on that. But there's sometimes in generative, it's just like this this it, you know it would be great to take this and maybe just make a five edition curated version of this collection. Say this and this is a great algorithm. I'm going to pump out as an artist a thousand, and I'm going to pick my five favorite um, and create different addition works maybe a one of one maybe a five of five it doesn't have to be fx hash so yeah i think there's a lot of nuance there and it's up to the artist to decide whether they can or should or shouldn't experimentation is always going to be a bit more fun and interesting as collectors but again it's it's on the market as the artists would probably agree with it's on the market to decide whether they've they've had enough or they want a bit more exposure and and they think this is different enough I love that answer. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Think, Again, waff- yeah. I did. I warned you before the show, I will waffle. I will waffle. <laughs> I love that answer because I, I'm of two minds on it personally, which is like, one, yes, like artists should do what they want and they shouldn't really get concerned about the market. But on the other hand, like I think artists have to be concerned about the market because for a good number of them, probably they are relying on some amount of this income to subsist or to at least like maintain their life as an artist only as a profession and mm-hmm. we we have seen i mean i won't name anyone in particular but like we've definitely seen some artists big medium and small who have been vocal when they have not gotten the reception they want like a piece didn't mint out or it goes under mint on the secondary so i think there is a lot of internal conflict and pressure on the artist's side when they don't get the reception that they thought yeah and of course that would be heartbreaking for an artist like you know as collectors we sit here and we wait for the art we wait we wait we wait and go oh great minting time let's check variations how good is this on color palettes composition all of these questions but at the end of the day these artists like sometimes it's really hard to infer how much effort they put in some artists i'm sure have got away with they've just put like three days hard graft in they produced what's potentially a grail series there's other artists that might this might be the culmination of their five years of work, whether they've returned to it on and off or whatever. It's, you know, their darling and they want to see it proliferate. They want to see more variations of it. And and so it can be heartbreaking for them. I, I mean, all I would say to to them um, from us as a doubt, like that this is just the ebb and flow of the market. You know, we've all seen collections that have not done amazingly straight out of the blocks and or they've dipped below mint and that happens i think that's you know that's the nature of the beast when you're dealing with a market that has uncapped supply it's just stuff coming in and people are reaching for liquidity to get their latest sand can or whatever it's just gonna it's just gonna happen (laughs) but then again you have you know artists that will create something new one day 
and um, collectors will go, well, hang on, we can go back and look at this previous set they did, and you can kind of see this is the genesis of this thought process or algorithm, or this is, so they see something new in it, and the artist, so there's, you know, how we look back on projects retrospectively is important as well. Like what, we're all so living in the moment and kind of, oh, it's not done well, and a week ago it was up at this, and two weeks the time frames that we're we're all thinking on as humans as we've evolved to do is just so vastly different from what what's what's actually going to be important when we look back five ten years from now we're not going to be going oh god my project 10 years ago dipped below floor and i think also from a cognitive load perspective it's also there's not just so much and so much to look back at no matter when you're coming into fx hash there's also so much volume as you said right now we're just over 15,000 different generators on FX Sasha alone, like not including derivatives mm-hmm. on Versum or Tea or you know, just any of the one-on-ones or additions, uh, things that you can collect on object. And so how are you supposed to be able to bring all of that into this headspace here and remember what, what there is and what may have been missed or what wasn't minted because it was released during a time of slow market activity it's just crazy. And thinking Absolutely. about five to 10 years from now, you know, we're thinking over 300,000 pieces just on FX hash alone. And it's exactly that. I think we're also, because this, this space is so new, the tooling is still, it's yet to catch up. You know, we talked earlier about Mark Knoll delivering his tools for floor sweeps. and But the, you imagine the, the plethora of other tools that are waiting for us to look back old collections as a DAO we have systems in place and we take google sheets to the to its the we really need a web app to do this sort of stuff because it's really we're getting it, our, our sheets often crash but we we've built out formulas and tools to to be able to look at collections in the past that we maybe bought a bit high and where we can get our cost basis down and then other collections that have done fantastic that we might think oh it's had a bit of a pullback and we're still still in the green so let's let's go in and get some more exposure here so we're fortunate in that we've had someone running operations and other people helping out as they do in the DAO it's it's kind of crowdsourced to build out some kind of internal tools for us to all be able to look back at projects retrospectively but it's not the same for everyone but I think this is just a symptom of the market being young these these tools will exist in some format or another you know, you got NFT Biker, you got Mark Knoll, Zankan with FX Fan. Yeah, they're so new at the moment. The platform FX hashes, so it's it's got so much, so much room to grow in that side of things. We had NFT Biker, at least <laughs> um, up until uh, recently. But uh, yeah, it's really interesting hearing about your sheets. And we don't have to get into specifics, but you know, I'm sure you know there's other people out there like Kalo and Matt W who do their best to like track prices of collections and even come up with new metrics from time to time what is the process like behind the scenes again to the extent that you're feel comfortable saying mm-hmm. when there is a project that's being targeted new or old for a sweep or you know even for additional exposure like you said that's a lot of people to canvas and get input from and develop consensus from so what what is it kind of like you know like how do you decide and act um in the moment and how sensitive are you to timeliness right like we need to go now because in a week the floor could change or or Mm -hmm. something like that yeah i mean it's obviously changes and varies from project to project 
operations, when I say operations, we have a couple of people that run hot wallets in the DAO. We've probably got about four or five people. I do do the lion's share of it, but we have other other operators that basically would have a remit that we, we trust that their eyes are discerning enough. They have good enough taste and they're kind of working from criteria of, well, this is an artist that's done this volume or he's, he's this well-known or whatever. Go ahead, you can spend up to a certain amount and don't worry if it's pertinent that you can't canvas votes from the DAO. But then obviously if it's a more expensive acquisition and it's a bigger play, then invariably it will go to a vote. In the DAO, we, 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 you know, we have parameters whereby we, if X amount of people or a percentage vote no, then we'll just, or that want to pass on it, then we'll just veto that and, and move on. We've got systems that that allow us to move in an agile way, but also we have to balance that with making sure that everyone's capital is well looked after and their voice is heard, if you will, or their their taste is reflected in in our collection. So there's a bit of a balancing act, and you know, as I said earlier, everyone's trying to work this out. Everyone's experimenting. DAOs still are. We refine as we go along. We have regular um, calls where we talk about what's what's going right, what's going wrong, and where can we refine. So yeah, it's this, it's a refining process and one that we're we're getting closer to executing well on. I think definitely when you were thinking about the idea of being invested in art, especially on a long term versus or short short term, whether that short term can be for some people it's ten minutes. And then going into that that ten year long holding mentality, what is the general strategy that you have? You've already said multiple times that you know five to ten years is you know really the time horizon in which you're thinking about some of the strategy for selling, partially in line with talking about how you have a current runway through 2023. What is the overall view into like managing a collection of this size and this breadth and this depth? If I'm being really honest, I think. We, as a DAO, we haven't actually given it a huge amount of thought. I know everyone's got their own versions of what Carpe DM will look like in five to ten years, or even more in the future than that. But yeah, it's, it's not really raised all that much. I think at the moment we're just, look, let's just grab. Let's grab the good stuff and worry about that. You know, once we've got something to worry about, let's let's do that. We're just trying to get good coverage at the moment um, across different platforms, through different artists, through different genres. You know, the, for example, there's a whole genre of photography on the Tezos ecosystem that's absolutely beautiful, and we, we simply don't have enough. So that's another thing. So we're, we're just trying to collect at the moment. And that's where our attention's been. I think most of our discussions about strategy are directed at where are we collecting, where are we allocating, rather than where's our exit. Um, it, it's just not been pertinent to us to be discussing that at the moment. And as, a, as, a, as an investment vehicle or a DAO, we can continue to raise. Like if, if we got a, a good collection and uh, the collection's put, performing well on valuation models that we build out that have, that we, we deem to be fair and we can illustrate that they're fair, then there's, there's usually investment out there, be it from the traditional world or people on Ethereum or DAOs on Ethereum. So we can usually keep on running. And as we... Yeah, I think there will come a time when we want to look back, reflect and kind of think, well, where do we see 
us leveraging this um, this collection. But in general, we're just—it's just not really selling selling assets, selling art. It's just been so far from our our group thought process. It's, it honestly, we just haven't really talked about it much. It's just not on our not on our agenda at the moment. When we talk on this podcast, we're always you know espousing the always be listed, always be listed, always be listed. You don't need to be listed at the floor. <laughs> Will loves to be listed at various price points above the floor. So. Is there a world in which you might think about selling things that you've gotten a really solid return on? Yeah, if I, if I can follow on to that, yeah. I think it's like the question of, and, and maybe this is, again, not as relevant on the five to 10 year timeline, but NFTs are a liquid, right? You can't just market sell them. So at a certain point, even as a large organization, if you decide now is the time to sell, it doesn't mean that you can, mm-hmm. right? You still have to post and wait for someone to come to you, or you know maybe you'll have the privilege of being able to broker things privately on the side because you're kind of clouded and, and, and big. But um, yeah, I'm just curious, like also the optics, right, of a large fund starting to put things on the market. And is that going to signal like a lack of confidence in a piece or a lack of confidence in the genre of art itself? I mean, I think there's so much for a large organization to think about if and when the time comes to start taking profits which yeah would be hard to ignore right like some for some projects now you could easily i don't know if you if you as a dow are but like many original grail projects are well into like the 100 plus x range of returns depending on when you bought <laughs> yes <laughs> i think it's important that we're very honest with the community when when and if we did decide look we're going to start trying to so to realize some gains here i think it's important that we're honest and it's not just kind of we will be discussing that at some point in the future you said like that there's some that gets such magnificent upside at the moment we just we just don't think about that because we think it's still so early a in the tezos space b in the nft space like so it's it's not really come to our thoughts but I think it would be it's important that when we do come to that we're we're super honest with the community and it's not it's unlikely that we're just going to go right dump 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 you know we might might be the case where there's a platform in the future where you can combine a bunch of assets where there might not be a whole lot of liquidity but some collectors might need to or want to go um oh look I want exposure to this sort of genre of generative art and they might just buy a batch of them you know there could be a platform for that it could just be done otc so yeah the 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 liquidity question yeah i agree like liquidity in some older collections is like it kind of it can be a bit daunting going god will we ever be able to to offload those if we wanted to and to that i would just say it's still so early i know i sound like a, a broken record like it's still so early and there's i think there'll always be opportunities to realize profits or realize value, whether you're up or down on those assets. And it's just really hard to say what they will be at the moment because there's there's so much maturing to do for the ecosystem, the tooling. Um, a really tricky one to answer, actually. Mm-hmm. But I think we're just not focused on it. And I, and I know a lot, of, a lot of people in the DAO, members in the DAO might have their own opinions on that. And they're probably better suited, to be honest. They've worked in higher operating DAOs and DAOs are, command much more capital and they probably have really good opinions on that. So, I mean, I'll, I'll defer that to, to other members. I know they're not here, but it's, it's not something I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be able to give a, a super detailed answer on. I mean, I think it gives a good impression of the sentiment of the organization as a, as a, as an entity, 
right? Which is that we're just not really even talking. Yeah, about it right exactly. Now. I mean, uh, yeah. So that's the take home point for all your listeners. Like, it is. It is just not. It's not on an agenda. It's not spoken about. We believe that this is a moment just to be collecting, collecting, collecting. And the way that we we extract value, it might not even be in Tezos terms or dollar terms. It will be very different. And it's just so opaque at the moment that we just don't know. I mean, does that reflect your kind of bear market strategy then as we, I think, are all collectively realizing some earlier than others that this could be a crypto winter of mm. six to 18 months, like Tez prices could just get keep cheaper. Yeah. Um, sometimes the secondary market is slow to re-denominate, right, or reprice based on the conversion of Tez to fiat. So from your view, is this just the time to continue to like put our heads down? find value, take advantage of these prices. 100%. This is, we have people with individuals, uh, avid collectors of, you know, it's their first foray into the crypto ecosystem and they've maybe leveraged up too much. They've maybe used to uh, collateralization ratios that are not, not so smart and they're kind of learning a few lessons on that front. And where that happens, you see them reaching for liquidity. And this has happened a lot, actually. In fact, last night I did a bit of a sweep because... Well, we did a bit of a sweep, sorry, because there was there was a lot of stuff that was just huge discounts, um, massive discounts. And we don't see this as, well, this is the floors coming down as to what they should be. Like these are compounded discounts because Tezos has come down in price. And then they're pricing in Tezos, but then they're giving 30% discount. So it's like almost sometimes like 50, 60, 70% discount on these assets. And some of them are you know, offers being accepted on Contrapuntos for 400, 500 Tezos is just, it's just madness. So this is absolutely the time for the DAO and um, other collectors well capitalized to be able to come into the space or to collect stuff that they, they just, that was out of reach before. You know, there's been Art, Art Basel in um, Hong Kong recently where a lot of new eyes would have come into the ecosystem. They go, uh, how do I get my hands on this collection? It's so expensive. And here's their opportunity. Like you, you, you come into the Tezos ecosystem, chuck $200 into an exchange, get it on your temple or Kukai and have at it. You can grab some proper steals right now. So yeah, our convictions have a completely unwavered. We, we always expect volatility. I'll be honest. I didn't expect the Tezos and general macro markets to come down as fast as they did. That's discussion for another day. But in that, there's fantastic opportunity. We see it as a DAO, but more importantly, for those collectors and listeners out there, like this is a great time to be collecting only with what you can afford to lose, as with any crypto stuff. Like, just don't go nuts. But I, yeah, I think it's a fantastic opportunity. I mean, that sounds like a really great way, like, great moment to transition into art and specific collections then and what we what you like and i'm looking through your collection right now and i don't know if you have any anything by casey reese oh the five drops yeah maybe yeah i don't know if i saw those in there that yeah he's had. that's uh let me just pull those up for a reminder because he dropped something really nice recently sorry well we're referring to the um the, oh, the, the five things he done fx hash like his century series yeah, we talked about Century, and actually we were, we had it up in front of us that day that we were doing a big secondary sweep. We had basically allocated around 50, 60k Tezos to just go ham and really get some nice stuff. And we did, we discussed that, like, I think we, we the people that are on the call, 
despite thinking it's very uh, impressive work. It just wasn't for us. Like it didn't resonate with us all at the same time. And, you know, when you get that in, in a group or a DAO, you kind of just have to listen to the hive mind. Um, I expect it would do fantastic. It just, just wasn't for us. And that's kind of one of the beauties of, of a DAO and canvassing everyone's opinions and just feeling a vibe. Um, sometimes we get it right. Sometimes we get it wrong. This might be one of those times that we're wrong. And, um, there's this kind of method that I like to apply. This is just me, not Carfe DM, but like, I kind of go, well, if my work that I collected was in a lineup against all of the other in that collection, like, would I be able to pick it out? Like it was like a police lineup of my works. <laughs> would I be able to go like, are there, yeah, that's mine. I can tell because it's got the thing at the bottom and it's got the overarch does this and the color that does that. That kind of feels like a bit of an acid test that I like to use when I, when I look at collections. So when I was looking at this by Rias, I, I just kind of felt like I just wouldn't be able to get attached to a specific work. I think it's, 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 it's a really cool collection, but I just, yeah. And I, I that, that kind of was echoed, that sentiment was echoed with other members of the DAO. We were just like, yeah, I just, I just don't really feel like we would know which are ours. Like it just kind of felt a little too diffuse, if you will. I think that kind of speaks to one of the tensions that's been in my mind as we've been having this interview Partially in context to the idea that you feel that the DAO was late, you know, obviously not being able to get in on some of the earlier projects when they were a either minting for between free and five TES. Mm -hmm. The question that comes to mind is if, you know, you had the ability to sit there and mint the Century Collection, would your perspective be different? And what is the overall take on minting versus buying? from the Carpe Diem status. I know that you do mint, you know, I think we saw some number of bug forests coming through multiple mm -hmm. wallets. Does that change the the math or the thinking on what you mint or first buy? Yeah, naturally it changes the maths. I mean, data-wise, I don't have it in front of me, but the, a great great deal more upside if, you, if you're able to attend these markets on primary. And also, the exposure to risk is usually minimized a little bit. I think when you're coming in at secondary, as a DAO in particular, you need to have more conviction. And that often requires reaching out to DAO members and pulling together a vote and coming in for a sweep of 10 or more artworks rather than just having a little punt or at one or two. So if you're coming in at secondary, I feel that you need to come in with more conviction. You need to have better, stronger sign-off from the DAO and the members' uh, capital that you're putting to work here. Whereas I think primary, I think you're you're usually free to have a bit of a pun, especially like, for example, the Zankan drop. It's just like an hour. It was like, yeah, by the way, this is dropping in an hour. And I'm sure there were tips and bits and bobs everywhere where some people may have known. But yeah, that was like, if you're there, the right place at the right time, then, then you're going to see greater upside so inherent risk is kind of mitigated somewhat um, as people get to their computers after a long day at work or they wake up from another side of the world and, and want to buy in at these artworks. I feel we're uh, getting to the end of the interview here, Ed. It's, it's been amazing talking to you and learning more about Carpe Diem, but I'm, I'm curious, you know, we've talked about a lot of art, a lot of artists. We've talked about the philosophy of the Tao in general and how you collect artists big and small and in between. I'm wondering if there's any artists that you might want to talk about that are a little under the radar, maybe very on the more affordable side, like entry level for someone who 
who maybe is coming in now and is feeling like they are late, even though they're not, like, who do you think is really interesting producing right now that is accessible for new collectors? Yeah, so one of the projects we we picked up recently, and um, he's been a big name on, or at least for us, he's, he's been someone we collected well on um, Object and Hiket Nung and Nautea. Um, but the Paper Crane recently did uh, a collection that absolutely yeah, blew it out of the water. Like it was just so different. And this was a collaboration with uh, Richard Rich Poole, which many of you will know. And it just worked so well. It kind of hit like a really nice note for us where, uh, you know, we're seeing projects on FX Hash as like, ah, oh, the vegetation and different bits of here and trying to do this like ultra realism thing, which some of them are outstanding and so beautiful. But it was so nice to have this contrasting, like really nice line art, cell shaded pieces. Um, we had a bit of animation in some of them. And for me, Paper Crane, he has such an amazing command of colors. Like whenever I look at his works, he just hits these kind of nostalgic notes of colors that it's really hard to capture. And, you know, when you give up so much and generative work and you defer so much to the code and you're like, code, do your thing and make something beautiful. One of the things that you can prescribe as an artist is color. And so it really immediately resonated with me and the DAO and a lot of other collectors you see by how the markets reacted. Putting that time and effort into the colors and then just creating something that him and Rich did that's just such a fun contrast to what was going on in FX Hash. So yeah, I'm glad that did really well and um, very fond of that as a piece. And that, that piece is Miniscapes, by the way. Yes, sorry. <laughs> yeah, Miniscapes. For anyone listening, the the floor is there's a pretty wide range that can be collected from ninety to one hundred and twenty tes right now. So, at the current price, that's like not very much, right? That's we're not waiting for that to go too far south. So these are, these are good prices. But yeah, no, we we've also I mean, there's there's other artists that, for example, play who some of you may have heard of, who's who's done some really cool stuff on objects and. And Hikek Nunk from the early days. I mean, I personally collect quite a lot of his work. The Dow probably needs to do a bit of a backfill here, but Play's got some awesome, awesome works uh, undervalued, I think, on FX Hash. And I think one of the things he does, which I hugely appreciate, is he puts a lot of time and effort into how stuff renders and presents. Same with Christopher uh, Ulu, who did those bugs, I think it was entomology something, so I forget the name, you, you might have it to have, but basically these guys, along with others, they're putting so much effort into not just how the work will finish and how it will look and stand up on a placard or on a digital space, but there's so much beauty in the rendering and the effort and time they're putting into how these display and present to each person, and it might not be immediately accessible you know, when you go to a gallery and they just have it presented ready. But in the future, you're probably going to have galleries where you, you can walk into a room and you just maybe tap a button or you press on a part of a wall where it presents and loads up these these assets for you to see what, what work went into the presentation. And it goes back to what we were talking about with Organicon, with W. Blatt. The time and effort he's put into how these present and evolve and grow into their pieces and final form is... Um, Yes, it's certainly felt and it's not lost on us as collectors. And I think once the market realizes this and the tooling and infrastructure for presenting these works starts to mature, then we'll start to see these collections really shine and take off. 
and play has looks like they have about nine collections on fx hash yes yeah, so, i mean type two civilizations for me like just absolutely loved like i think it's just a really, really fun collection yeah so we've there's still some to mint so if, if, you, if you're listening to this and there's still some not minted out I, i'd hit that up personally i think what is that like about probably like six seven dollars per work and it's got great diversity, really fun color palette, and the attention to detail on the render is is awesome. So yeah, but then Ulu, who I also I, excuse excuse me if I'm pronouncing that wrong, um, but he did entomology. Let's see if I can find it. Procgen entomology. That's it. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Right. So this one, Procgen entomology, straight away this resonated massively in the DAO because everyone just love like the diversity of these bugs all being procedurally generated but then if you actually look and you run one of these some i think you will need a bit of a, a beastly graphics card for some of these to render but the effort and time that's obviously been poured into how these present how they render and it's this slow fade out with the writing below i just yeah i absolutely love that that there's there's more to the artwork than just here it is static what do you think is is the reveal if you will yeah, and I think that we'll definitely see, you know, what that play on more of the animated or, you know, GPU intensive pieces, how that changes into the future. You know, I know that depending on which laptop I'm on, you know, either a piece works really well or it just doesn't. And so I guess as better hardware is normalized, it's just going to be a non-issue into the future. I totally agree with you. I think there might be a time where I, I don't want to speak for Cypher and the FX hash team, but there might be a time whereby they allow some tool and just like they say, listen, you, your computer's not powerful enough to render this, but we can show you a render of what it would look like in GIF format. And you can put this kind of lens on it in a way that you can now have image previews. There might be a sort of lens whereby it's kind of been pre-rendered and can be presented and people could choose whether they want to see that. I mean, there've definitely been some collections I've missed out on because I'm sitting on a sh you know a really crappy old MacBook. I'm like, well, it doesn't even render for me. Like, of course it doesn't. It's a decade old computer. So yeah, I I, I think it, it will be a shame for people to miss out on these collections that might feel like they're computationally intensive. But uh, as Moore's law goes, it's it's only a matter of time before uh, things catch up and these are just grails waiting to be snapped up. I think that kind of segues into just one last question for me, unless, Will, you want to talk more about some of the art? Please, you know me, I'm the time cop. Okay. And this question <laughs> is more around, you know, the collection that you've made or the DAO has made over the last few months. And, you know, we'll continue mm -hmm. to make months into the future and years into the future. And it's such a wide variety of known grails, smaller projects by slightly lesser known artists, things that you truly believe in. Is there any way that you think that you'll be sharing that with the population at large, either like on Tezos through online galleries or in the real world? Because this seems like a huge area where you're able to specifically curate pieces that you own and bring broader awareness yeah. to both FX hash and Tezos as an ecosystem and even just NFTs as a concept, as a way to change hearts and minds, as we like to say. Um, get, get people beyond the apes. <laughs> yeah. What do, are there any plans there or anything that you've been discussing? 
huge plans. I think in actual fact, I was kind of hopeful I could get something going with Decca a bit sooner than I had. And I've been playing around with it a little bit. And we have been trying to sort a few things as a DAO. We've also got a couple really talented curators in the DAO and advising us on how to arrange these. So a hundred percent, we want to be showcasing our work. It's, it's one of the great things about collecting such broad diversity being able to showcase it is is it's almost as important as the value it actually brings us. We want to be able to champion this work, show it off, whether it be in on cyber, whether it be in some gallery in London or New York where they got digital displays or a metaverse elsewhere. A hundred percent, we want to start sorting through our collection. There's a huge amount of sorting to be done. But yeah, I definitely foresee a time where we'll have, you know, our FX hash gallery, which will be segmented into you have, you know, <laughs> your PFP with unicorns. And then you have your really like strong generative uh, series. It's like ultra realism. So you have your Mediterraneans and, and other stuff like that in. And, and, and then maybe just the abstract section. So, I mean, that would just be one, one FX hash gallery alone. You, you have so many different themes and genres to explore and um, to showcase. So 100% would like to do that. And I can't wait. We kind of did a little bit on on cyber recently just to showcase to the members um, what's been going on in the DAO and what they might have missed. And it was so cool. Like we only got like the little free room where you just walk around and like check out a few pieces. But I think that we'll, we'll likely be making a play to get one of the bigger rooms in that or or on another platform so we can really showcase and um, present all that we have across Tezos for sure. I mean, that sounds amazing. It's a, a great way to evangelize for the medium of generative art itself. Yeah. If anything, we owe our artists an apology for dragging our feet on that. We, we, we really should be moving on this faster and that definitely serves as a good reminder. We need to start showcasing our art. We've got so much that we need to show off. And that's always a challenge because you have infinite space and infinite art. <laughs> yeah, that's that's great about NFTs. Like you, you just make like one big room that's like, you know, two miles long and just line up all our NFTs. You just can't do that in the real world. So there's definitely challenges. And that's probably explains why it's been a little slow getting off the ground and getting something working. But yeah, it's exciting. Once it comes, it'll be an, it'll be an absolute monolith. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Ed. I think that's a really great place for us to end here. It's been an excellent interview. I mean, it was really enlightening just to hear how a large organization like Carpe Diem operates and really taking the long view, right? Which is something that we don't have an opportunity to, or the, with the walls that we have, we don't get to think about that that much. So it's it's awesome to kind of hear that that different way of thinking and talk about some of the artists that we enjoy. So yeah, I mean, let's wrap it here. Sure. And thanks to thanks to both of you guys and just this show in general and other shows out there like podcasts that Ken does. Um, I, I, so much value and uh, I've learned so much from it. I know a lot of other members have. So huge thank you from, from Carpe DM to you guys and everything you do for the space. Waitingtosign.ted <laughs> is the donation wallet. Uh, <laughs> but no, you know, you've donated your time. And so that, that's, you know, that's more than enough. <laughs> Well, we're, we're, we're just going to keep, we'll just do floor sweeps on the waiting to be signed FX hash collection. Yeah, sounds good. Now and then, yeah. Well, awesome. Thank you again. I hope everyone enjoyed. This is a really great interview and uh, we'll see you all next time. 
All right. Later.